Welcome to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Happy New Year. It's that time of year after the indulgences of the holidays, you know, when a lot of people try to eat healthier and drink less. Well, this week we're exploring options for those of you participating in a dry January. But truth be told, these drinks are delicious all year long. These are drinks for any time and for anyone who doesn't want to drink or just wants a break. As our guest Julia Bainbridge says, there's never been a better time to be a non-drinker. Coming up on the show, we'll talk to the joy-filled local juice maker delivering wellness to Hartford and beyond, Josephine Joyner. And you'll hear a conversation with John Walker, head brewer at Athletic Brewing Company, one of the first non-alcoholic breweries in the country and the only non-alcoholic brewery in Connecticut. But first, good drinks. And by good drinks, we mean spirit-free cocktails, zero-proof mixed drinks, mocktails, whatever you want to call them. They're what one in five Americans reached for during dry January last year, according to FastCompany.com. What's out there for thirsty teetotalers? Lots, it turns out. Julia Bainbridge is a James Beard Award-nominated food writer and former editor at Bon Appetit magazine and the first writer-in-residence over on Food 52. She's the author of Good Drinks, Alcohol-Free Recipes for When You're Not Drinking for Whatever Reason. Now that's a title. While researching her book in the summer of 2018, Julia had the enviable job of driving across the country and gathering recipes from innovative bartenders who were creating thoughtful, non-alcoholic drinks for their guests. We'll hear about that road trip and get into some of the recipes from the book. But first, Julia helps define what she means when she calls something a good drink. Um, yes, it's a sort of a gruff. <laughs> it's a very straightforward title. But, you know, there's a lot of anxiety around this whole endeavor of what to call these things. I mean, I think why not to call it mocktail? I cringe over that a little less than some other people do. I mean, it's definitely effective, right? right. It's simple. We all know what it means, but there is something kind of juvenile about it. It sort of implies that the drink is a lesser version of the real thing, you know? Right. And uh, we do need to settle on something to sort of collectively align on terminology that we really embrace. But I, in a way, I, I sidestepped uh, the issue, <laughs> um, uh, sort of. Uh, perhaps defiantly calling them drinks, which of course wouldn't be fair in a bar because patrons deserve clarity about what they're getting. But I guess, you know, I think when people make plans with each other to get a drink, it's assumed uh, that that drink means an alcoholic one and that you're meeting at a bar. And so I guess my intent is kind of to subvert that a little. It also made room for a number of different kinds of beverages to go in this book. I think you know, not all of them fit under the category of alcohol-free cocktail per se. Now, my friend John DeBerry, who also wrote a great book called Drink What You Want. We've had John on the show. Great guy. Yeah, he's wonderful. We've become very good friends. And he would say a cocktail is any two liquid ingredients that you're mixing together. So when you pour cream in your coffee in the morning... Congrats, you've made a cocktail. A cocktail, okay. <laughs> so based on his definition, everything in the book, yes, is a cocktail. But um, yeah, they're just drinks, guys. And they're good. It's just drinks. So <laughs> what brought you to write this book? Have you always not had alcoholic drinks? Or is it just a, a move that you made in your life later on? Or No, I used to have a lot of alcoholic drinks. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, um, I, I guess I you know, have been reckoning with my relationship to alcohol over the years. And I think it's important that when you do that, 
you have distance from it, meaning like we can only really see our relationship to something once we eliminate it. And I'm still somewhere on that journey long term, but it definitely alcohols out of my life for the time being. And the first time, I guess, like some years ago, what was it that I really started seeing this happening? 2015, maybe is when I first removed alcohol from my life. And as somebody who writes about food and drink, and as someone who luckily, you know, the nature of my relationship to alcohol, alcohol, excuse me, isn't such that when I'm out at bars and restaurants, I'm like triggered by the presence of alcohol. Like I'm perfectly fine to go places and just order something else and not feel tempted. Right. Which I know is not the case for everybody who say has a substance use disorder or whatever else they may call it. Right. So I was out at bars and restaurants looking for things to drink that weren't sodas and weren't, wasn't water. And I just noticed, you know, as a journalist who, again, looks for food and drink trends, oh my gosh, something's going on. Like there are more thoughtful, non-alcoholic options. And oh my gosh, they're on menus. Like they're taking up real estate. They're given names just like cocktails are. Something was happening. Um, and, you know, granted that was in New York City. And, and at that time, this thing wasn't happening across the country but it sure is now. Yeah, <laughs> and so um, basically I decided that uh, I wanted to kind of capture this newfound acceptance and kind of energy and the innovation that was going on in this category um, and put it in this book. So, you know, it's, the book is very much a compendium. You know, I say, I'm like the, the hype girl for the category, right? Like I'm, I'm the champion of all the work being done, but the actual work and the recipes in this book, this, this rests on the work of, of people like you, people who are in the industry, really, you know, the experts. And I've got to say, I have so much more respect for bartenders. Um, <laughs> I, I, it was already a high level of respect that I had before entering into this. And now um, liquid is so complicated <laughs> and difficult to work with. Um, so uh, my, my uh, hat's off to them. And I'm really thankful that all the people who did contribute to the book were willing to do so and are thinking about non-drinkers like me. That was way more verbose an answer than I'm sure you were. No, it was, it was, per yeah. God, it was, it was like, you really explained <laughs> it perfectly there. I loved it. And here's the thing. I found that it's not the, the liquids that are complicated. It's the people that are complicated. That, that's what ah, I found. Well, that too. <laughs> uh, the book, Good Drinks, Alcohol-Free Recipes for When You're Not Drinking for Whatever Reason. What a fun, awesome book for people looking for something different to change to maybe even add Instead of having that cocktail at the end of the night, doing one of these or something like that. I love that idea. Talk about the research that you put into this stuff. Because I think your research with this is a, it's a great story. There was a lot of drinking and driving. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, look, I mean, again, as, as a journalist, I think it's important to like pound the pavement and go out there and see what's happening. And, you know, there's talent across the country. I didn't just want to do a New York based book or to look to the talent that's on the coasts of this country, as we too often do. So right. I had the opportunity to do research this way. So, so I, I did, you know, I got in my car and really cast a really wide net and just met with people. I, I tasted and talked with bartenders and chefs. And it was important to me to do it that way for a few reasons. One, this whole movement, if we'll call it that, was still relatively young at the time. And so it would be hard to have done thorough research from afar because my research, at least the initial research, would have relied on local press and there wasn't a ton going on then. Also, 
when you're on the ground somewhere, you can have based on your initial research and the stories you've read that were reported locally um, in advance, like I had my day one uh, marching orders, right? Like here are the places that have been reported to have thoughtful non-alcoholic drinks. But then you kind of make your presence known in that city <laughs> and you ask the people who are taking that kind of care, where else should I go? And so many other um, suggestions come up. So it was important to me to just be really thorough and leave no stone unturned and and um, consider all kinds of things. It was also important to me to do it this way because I wanted this book to act not only as a cookbook, yes, for people to make the drinks at home and enjoy, but also as a literal guidebook. Of course, I couldn't have anticipated how 2020 was going to turn out and that we wouldn't be able to move about freely. And unfortunately, that, you know, this industry I so love would be so heavily impacted. Devastated. But it was meant to tell people where to go when you're traveling. Uh, okay, you can flip to the back of the book and see the list of the bars in Philadelphia and know that when you're on your work trip there, you can go to these places and get something really delicious and non-alcoholic. What was the strangest place that you were at or the weirdest city or town you were in that you thought there's no chance there's anything like that here? And, and you go and you're just blown away by something you had. Bloomington, Indiana. <laughs> nice. I could not have anticipated that. First of all, there's just a really sophisticated cocktail culture going on there, maybe because it's a bit of a college town. Right. But yeah, I totally thought that I would find more going on in the capital city of that state. But turns out that um, Bloomington is really where it's at. Wow. And I wouldn't have discovered that if I didn't have a friend who, speaking of Food 52, which I know you mentioned at the top of this, she um, had worked for Food 52 in New York for a long time and then moved back home uh, to Bloomington for a little while. Luckily, she's boomeranged back and lives two blocks from me in Brooklyn. But uh, at the time of the road trip, she was there and she was the one who tipped me off to Bloomington. And, and thank gosh that she did, because there's so much good drinking to be had there in the alcoholic realm and the non-alcoholic realm. Very cool. Very cool. Hey, I, you know, one of the things I think I like about the way you've got the book set up is it's you include that commitment level scale. Like, how committed are you to doing this? Which I think is great for a Tuesday, you know? Exactly. Well, thanks for, for seeing that. I'm glad it's appreciated. I <laughs> I had some arguments with my research assistant about what level certain drinks should go in. I think we settled on the right ones. But yeah, I mean, I am somebody who, despite my love of really rolling up my sleeves and engaging in some of the you know project recipes in this book, I can be sometimes a relatively lazy home cook. <laughs> and it bothers me when I get home from work in the evening and I'm flipping through a cookbook that is packaged as being quick and easy. And then I have to read the recipe and there are like two sub recipes, even if one of the sub recipes is a vinaigrette. Right, right. I don't want to do it at seven o'clock on a Tuesday, as you say. So easy as the eye of the beholder, right? Yeah, yeah. But hopefully this, at least through my eye, hopefully my eye has been correct that the the ones at a level one are are pretty easy. And that way you before you even commit to reading the full recipe on the page, you know what you're about to get to. So if you want a quick fix, you're going to flip on if it's a level four, come back to it on the weekend. What's a few tools you could suggest people have in their pantry and in their drawers and whatnot to make great, good drinks? I think the same accoutrement, if you will, work in this context that you would have in a classic bar, you know, so you know, your bar spoon, your jigger, your mixing glass, your shaking tin. But that said, 
making these drinks is really about cooking. (laughs) So I'd say having a stock kitchen, having your chef's knife, having your cutting board, you know, your four quart saucepan. Again, this category is moving so fast. And a lot of the really delicious non-alcoholic products that are on the market weren't here yet when I filed the manuscript of this book. So now if you really want a quick fix, you can just lean on the back bar, if you will, <laughs> you know, <laughs> mix a Gia, which is a really great aperitif, two ounces of that with some soda water and a orange twist and you have a little spritz. But before those products were available, you kind of had to like cook if you want to get the level of complexity that you would in a spirit. Again, you're never going to get quite, you know, I think sometimes we almost do a disservice to these drinks by comparing them to the alcoholic drinks because like ethanol alcohol behaves in a very particular way and these drinks don't have that and that's okay. (laughs) There just should be considered a different things. But that said, what we love about the drinks that have alcohol are that they get it, you know, they have a bracing quality. They re- I think bitterness is really a, the, the big thing that was, you know, missing in so many non-alcoholic drinks. And so, yeah, if you want to get at that, you might have to, you know, source some gentian root and like make a tea or a tincture out of that. Or you might have to know how to manipulate certain teas and oversteep them to get them to be bitter. It might take a little doing. I believe that that's fun. I like that kind of tinkering. But for those of you who might not, there are a lot of products out there uh, that you can use on. <laughs> well, I want to do a quick speed round with you, Julia, because I think it's going to be kind of fun here. Oh, God. Uh, I-, I want to tell you the time of day, and I want you to tell me the type of good drink you would recommend for that time of day. The morning time. You know, obviously, we had talked before about having coffee and or tea in the morning. That- that's your typical go-to. But is there something else you would recommend? I really like... For, for a brunch drink, this delicious agua fresca, which is a honeydew avocado agua fresca. So this is one nice. from the book, but it's on my mind because it has this silkiness from the avocado, but it's not a smoothie. It has soda water in there, which really like picks it up and brightens it. Ooh. Yeah, I can that with like eggs and like a sort of egg breakfast taco, you know, with some salsa. Yeah, I love that. How about the afternoon? I might need a pick-me-up. I think something coffee-based. If we're talking like a 3 p.m. sort of having a treat in place of the nub of chocolate I might normally go for. <laughs> something something like with cold brew in it. Um, there was a great recipe from Colorado where somebody it, like infused cold brew with uh, some fruit with like orange and blackberries. Ooh. What that ended up doing is it like picked apart these berry and citrusy notes in the coffee itself. And it almost like picked those apart and leveled them up. So that was a little cream, a little decadent pick me up. Yeah. That sounds perfect. And for happy hour, I've got to also talk to you about the salted rosemary Paloma. Palomas are on fire right now. It was the, the hip thing. And you've got a fantastic version here with rosemary. So good. Yes. This drink is that one came from Dante here in New York city and I think that's the most made recipe so far from the book, at least as far as I can tell through Instagram and the people who um, have been tagging me, which side note, that is such a joy. You know, other book authors had told me, you know, you can't anticipate what this is going to feel like, but it's such a joy to see this book come to life in people's homes. And man, it really is like people having fun with these drinks, especially this year is so cool. I know. And I'm not even the author of these recipes and I still have that feeling. So I can't imagine what it feels like for all the bartenders. But so many people have made that Paloma, I think because it's approachable and yet there's kind of one element that 
kind of makes your head cock a little bit. Like there's one interest factor, which is that Malden salt, right. In the rosemary yeah, yeah. Um, syrup. So I think, you know, what is it? Grapefruit juice, soda water, and then this flavored syrup with the rosemary and the salt. What a great like winter happy hour drink. I love herbs in cocktails like that. I think it adds a whole different dimension to it. And that's a great example of that right there. I love that. That's fantastic. How about the change of address? What a fun drink this is. And I mean, this thing literally has soy sauce in it. I mean, Eric Nelson does not give a blank (laughs) (laughs) in the best way. Like Eric knows he's at, uh, he's in Portland, Oregon. This drink, you know, operates similarly to the way the fruit picked apart those notes in the coffee. I think like it's Coca-Cola to your listeners on paper or, you know, on audio, this is going to sound gross, but it is not, trust me. (laughs) Um, uh, A friend who writes, uh, Helen Rosner, who writes about uh, food for the New Yorker at some point, messaged me as I was recipe developing saying, oh my gosh, I just got back from Portland. Did you have that change of address at EEM? And I said, believe it or not, I already have the recipe and it's going in the book. So I'm, you know, a a New Yorker food person has given it her stamp of approval, folks. Just trust me on this one. It's Coca-Cola, maple syrup, lemon juice, soy sauce, really need the crushed ice in there. That's key because you've got like a lot of things going on in this drink and the crushed ice needs to kind of let it breathe a little bit, open it up, dilute it slightly. Wow. But yeah, think about Coke. Like there's a salinity to Coke. There's obviously a sweetness, there's an acidity. And so each of those components comes in the soy sauce, the maple syrup, the the acid, and kind of just amplifies all those voices that are already present. Eric is like classically trained, but I love that he just has fun and doesn't take himself too seriously. If, if I didn't trust you and where the, the genesis of this recipe came from and the person that came up with it, I would swear up and down this is something my four-year-old niece made for me and was like, here, Uncle Plum, try this. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> hey, also, the upbeat. I love any kind of drink that uses beet juice. I think it's a fantastic choice to add a little sweetness to something. And is it oolong tea in that as well, right? Yes, sweetness, but also, yeah, it's a, right, beets are like nature's candy. Sweetness, but also earthiness. And then the oolong tea comes in and gives you, you know, tannic qualities. Another thing the beet juice does is I think a complaint people often have about alcohol-free drinks when they're comparing them to alcoholic drinks is the the weight on your palate. And I think the beet juice is really weighty. It's robust in that way. Feels nice in the mouth. So yeah, that's a great one. That's kind of like a wine replacement, if you will, red wine I love that. The book is Good Drinks, Alcohol-Free Recipes for When You're Not Drinking for Whatever Reason. I highly recommend you guys have to check this book out. These recipes sound great. I think you've inspired me, Julia, that I think I might try to make this change of address tonight when I get home from work. Please do and report back. It's really good with a burger or barbecue. That's like That's the vibe. I love it. That's fantastic. We appreciate you coming on here and talking to us and telling us about these amazing recipes. And I can't wait to send you a picture of me attempting to make this particular cocktail. So be on the lookout for it. I believe in you. Cheers. (laughs) Thanks, Julia. (laughs) That was Julia Bainbridge. She is a James Beard Award-nominated food writer, a former editor at Bon Appetit magazine, and the author of Good Drinks, alcohol-free recipes for when you're not drinking for whatever reason. Later in the hour, a conversation with co-owner and head brewer at the state's only non-alcoholic craft beer brewery. And after the break, a different kind of good drink. We'll talk to Josephine Joyner of Juicy J Juice Bar. I'm Marisol Castro. 
And I'm Chef Plum. You're listening to Seasoned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Season. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. We started the show talking about good drinks, as in thoughtfully made non-alcoholic cocktails. We're going to introduce you to the maker of a different kind of good drink now. Josephine Joyner is the owner of Juicy J Juice Bar, an online juice delivery service. While Zooming with Josephine, she was making us terribly thirsty because we could see her sipping on one of her signature juices, the Rainforest. And she jumped right in telling us the drink's backstory. The rainforest is kale, spinach, lemon, ginger, banana, turmeric, some other natural herbs that I can't say, it's a little secret, <laughs> and pineapple and apple. It has an earthy taste to it, but it's still sweet. But I didn't have a name for this juice yet. So one day I was watching the documentaries on, on Netflix and Leonardo DiCaprio is actually the, he's like the spokesperson for going green around the world. So I was watching this documentary. He was saying how the rainforests around the world are endangered because of the companies like Kraft, Nabisco, all of these big name companies they all have one ingredient that they use to put into different foods, right? That we buy off the shelf. They all use one ingredient. Do you guys know what that ingredient is? Partially hydrogenated oil. It's, it's basically the same thing, Chef Plum. Points for me. What is it? Palm oil. Yes! Yay! Oh my gosh, palm oil. <laughs> it's palm oil. Also used to be found in Girl Scout cookies. Yes. And actually, a lot of Africans use this oil to cook with. It's not a bad thing, but the companies were purposely burning down the, the forest, the rainforest, to get this oil because they need that oil to make the products. So he was advocating for that. It was like a light bulb. Now. I was like, the rainforest, and the rainforest. And thus, <laughs> a juice name was born. So you're here to say Leonardo DiCaprio is the godfather of that particular juice. <laughs> yes, yes. Does he, does he, he know is, this yet? No, he doesn't. But one day he will. <laughs> he inspired me to create this juice because it really does help. So that that year, you know, when people started drinking this rainforest, I'm telling you, the turmeric and the ginger, they were like, people were getting better. They were sick. They was having the flu and, you know, and they were like, oh my God, this drink is so good. So Phew, thank goodness. Yeah. You know, just to jump back to that, just to explain what hydrogenated oils are, because it's important, I think, especially in regards to the conversation we're having with Josephine. Hydrogenated oils are based like a palm oil, like she's talking about, or a vegetable oil, when hydrogen is introduced to that. And what it does is it actually increases the shelf life of food to make it more shelf-stable. The problem is it causes heart disease yeah. really, really bad, which we just found out, mm -hmm. we just started figuring out as people about you know, 15, 20 years ago. Let's back up a bit and explain how Juicy J Juice Bar came to be. After tons of crying, stress eating, and depression over a job loss, Josephine really did love her job marketing Chipotle's catering business. She used her 2016 tax return to lease a storefront in Hartford. 
She thought maybe she'd open a Cajun restaurant in that spot. But then, like a lot of us, she was up late one night watching YouTube. and Leading up to that, I was up every night, late night on YouTube, just trying to figure out what, what can I do? You know, what am I going to, what kind of restaurant am I going to open? And at the same time, I knew a lot of people that were getting diabetes and high blood pressure. And I had ran across this guy and he was on YouTube and he was talking about how the food is no longer like the food that our grandmother and parents used to eat. Now, you know, the food, you know, they're pumping chemicals, it's more processed, all this stuff. And that's what's making a lot of the people sick and have the diabetes and high blood pressure. It was like a light bulb went off. I was like, so I told my ex I said, the food, the food, the food is making us sick. The food is making us sick. <laughs> that was your epiphany. Yes. So I was like, I'm going to get a blender and I'm going to have this business. And so I'm telling him what we're going to do. He's like, who's going to buy smoothies? How are you going to make money with smoothies? And I just knew in my heart and soul that this is, this is what it is, right? That this is what God wanted me to do from when I was crying in the car. Josephine ran her juice bar out of that shop until 2019. Moving her business online meant connecting with the community in a new way. It also brought about an unexpected opportunity. Josephine learned about Knox Farms Community Garden Program and Hands on Hartford. That's right. Josephine is a farmer now, growing the produce for her farm to blender juice bar. I started my business reaching out to the community, just going to different organizations in Hartford, staying connected with the Entrepreneur Center at the University of Hartford. Like, this is what helped me get the word out. Let me tell you something. Word of mouth is like, it's powerful. I'm telling it's you. Very, it's very so powerful. So I always make sure I stay connected with the people in the community. So I went to this, to one day I went to the meeting they had at Hartford Food Board. And the lady at Knox, Knox Garden was there. Shout out to Chelsea. <laughs> so she was there, you know, and she was bubbly like me. <laughs> she was like, yeah, girl, I got this farm. Um, Knox got this program. So I was like, oh my God, I could grow the veggies, right? I was like, I could grow this and put it in the juice. This is what's popping right here, you know? And I said, I can provide a service for my customers and they know where this stuff is coming from. I'm going to know where it's coming from. I'm growing it. Had you been a farmer ever up until that point? Never, ever, never, ever. What do you, what do you have? What do you have on your farm now? I mean, I know it's winter, but, but what do you have? So now we're in the greenhouse. The whole year of last year, I just took time out to farm. So they have farmers there already, like experienced farmers. So they taught me, Knox give you like all the resources, like whatever you need, they give you the land, they give you soil, they give you the water, like whatever you need to start, they give it to you. Oh, and they give you seeds. They give you organic seeds. They give you classes to teach you about water irrigation. They give you the whole thing. The whole thing. So what was the first thing you planted? So the first thing I planted was kale. A juice staple. <laughs> yep. But because Knox doesn't allow you to use any chemicals or any pesticides and nothing, you have to grow everything organic is, is bugs, right? So, <laughs> so when I grew that kale, it was these bugs that like messed up the whole crop. So I had to learn about the difference. So they give you classes where you learn about the different bugs and how to grow it away. So you can know how to care for plants while it's growing so the bugs won't overpower it. Um, so I had to learn that. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about Hands on Hartford and how you got involved in Hands on Hartford. 
So hands on Hartford and Knox work together as a partner, right? So the farmers, they, they're not just be like, oh, you just farm. No, they, they want you to set yourself up, create a business out of it. There's so many different ways, the avenues that you could go when you're farming. You know, we have farmers that um, they make their own sauces, they grow their own peppers and make their own hot sauce, or they grow their own different produce and make jams and stuff. So you need like a commercial kitchen to do this. So that's where Hands on Hartford come in. So, so I was just like, this is perfect. Everything is just lining up. I got the kitchen. I got the bottles. You had the farm. Got the farm. <laughs> and you got the two best tools a person could have when it comes to doing farming and making anything. Your hands. The best things right. you have to do it and the work ethic to want to do it. Right. I get a lot of respect for that, that you're actually growing your own vegetables. And do, that's, that's amazing. That's really, really cool. So the universe worked. You had your kitchen. You had your farm. You had your hands. And something that I want you to touch on which is important for us, is the fact that you realize that food is important, especially for people of color in our communities. Right. And we're raised on jerk chicken right. and greasy pork chops and all this. You know, I'm speaking from personal experience. So what is it that you do or that you've learned <laughs> that sort of makes food medicine for communities of color or communities that may have maybe never had the message about how food can really heal you? Right. A lot of the foods that we're eating is making us sick. That That is like the big message that I do want to say. And we as a community, yes, these are the foods that we grew up on. These are the foods that's in our culture. These are the type of foods that bring family together. But times are different now. The way that, you know, our parents grew up and the way that our parents made our food and, and what we grew on is different now. So the juice is what... It's going to help because, you know, a lot of us don't want to eat the vegetables, but having it in a juice, you can have it taste good. It's going to help you counteract a lot of the foods in the more communities where fast food is pushed, right? You know, a lot of us are like on the go all the time. So that's why I say it's the new fast food. The juices are delicious. So if you could have this juice, Growing straight from the farm, whereas the potentness of the veggies is still there where you can still feel the effects of the veggies. You can feel the healing going through your body from the veggies and have it taste good. That's where we come in and just healing people on that type of level. And it, it's working. It's happening. I always tell my juice angels, that's what I call everyone that shops with us, have a juice a day. A juice a day literally does, it keeps the doctor away. It helps counteract high blood pressure, diabetes. It helps with obesity. When you're eating on a plant-based diet and that's drinking a juice, that food is going straight to your gut and your gut is connected to your brain. So a lot of us is dealing with depression have a juice, have a juice a day. And you will see that it, it will help with your mood. It will put you in a more positive state of mind. Eat good, feel good, feel good, look good. Exactly. We as a people, especially the black and brown community, we might not have the ability to get you know, healthier foods. Please 
get to know your local farmer. You know, farmers markets are popping up everywhere. If you can't, if you're, you know, struggling with the funds to buy the juice, you know, you can make your own juice. You have your fresh veggies there. Just being more conscious of what you're eating a day to day. And that will help with a lot of things that are maybe health-wise are holding you back in your life on a day-to-day because it all starts from our health. You want to eat foods. You want to drink a a healthy, delicious juice because that's going to raise up your frequency. It's going to raise up your vibration. You know, look at me. You see how I jumped on here. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I saw my juice angels. Food is source and food connects you to source. So, you know, go to those restaurants. We, you know, I support chefs. You guys make so much delicious food and it's like, eat what you want, but also dedicate four or five days during the week to your health. Josephine, you are so inspiring. Josephine, AKA Juicy J, you have convinced, <laughs> might have saw, I'm not going to have that burger anymore. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go for lunch today. <laughs> I don't, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Not well, it's even true. And I'm going to get a juice. And I'm going to enjoy it. Thanks for the inspirational words from Josephine. Seriously, what, <laughs> what a great story. I, I So fun, my song. That Thank you so much. I mean, have your burger. Have your burger. But make sure you drink that green juice that you got in that fridge, too. Look, listen, all um, I can do is see you yelling at me right now. To not eat the, to, you're saying eat the burger, but you're shaking your head. No, no one can see that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Josephine Joyner, local farmer, owner of Juicy J Juice Bar. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. We appreciate your voice. Bye. Love you guys. (laughs) You can find Josephine online and order her juices at JuicyJJuiceBar.com. And she's JuicyJJuiceBar on Instagram. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, you'll hear our conversation with John Walker, head brewer of Athletic Brewing Company in Stratford, the state's only non-alcoholic brewery. Their beers are wellness-driven, sure, but the founders also put portions of their profits towards state park restorations, the Restaurant Employee Relief Fund, and social justice organizations. Now, we will definitely drink to that. At the end of the day, we're just beer lovers at heart. We, we don't compromise on the flavor, so you're still just enjoying that great beer. It just doesn't have alcohol in it. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum, a pioneer in non-alcoholic craft brewing after the break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Seasons. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Connecticut has more than 110 breweries, but the one you'll learn about now is unique. Athletic Brewing Company in Stratford is the state's only non-alcoholic craft beer brewery. In fact, it's one of the only non-alcoholic craft beer breweries in the country. If you've listened to the show before, you know I'm a beer lover. But it's not just the beer I love. It's the process of making the beer. Fermentation is just fascinating to a chef. John Walker is Athletic's co-founder and head brewer. He joins us now to talk about how they source their hops and malt, their philanthropic work, and their need to destigmatize alcohol-free beer. John, thanks for joining us here on Seasoned. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I, I want to talk to you about you, but immediately my head goes to, okay, how do we brew non-alcoholic beer? So basically when you form alcohol, you have the yeast, the yeast eats the sugar. That's what helps ferment 
the beer itself is there a point in the process where it stops for you that you stop the process before the alcohol is made or is it like remove the alcohol somehow yeah no it's just a series of tweaks throughout the traditional process we play with the chemistry in a number of manners and ingredient selection and it just yields a, a fully fermented beer under 0.5 percent and so the the plus side to that is that we don't have to cook any of the alcohols or flavors off post-fermentation so we retain all of the natural components of the ingredients. And you said it has, it's under 0.5% in order to be called a non-alcoholic beer, right? Correct. That's such a trace amount. It's so minimal. But is there a way you can get rid of all of that or just not even possible? You can. And, you know, a lot of traditional methods that have been used for decades do that. Um, so there's, you know, vacuum distillation or reverse osmosis. Can... Whoa, we're getting way too sciencey right now. I was told there'd be no science in this <laughs> I, episode. I thought we were going to talk about like sous vide stuff, right? <laughs> we're getting there. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. No, I'm not kidding. Um, yeah, no. So you can. It's just it's not the avenue we chose just because we think that retaining all of the components in their original format are best for flavor and experience. What makes you decide to go that route? Was there something in life that made you say, hey, we're going to make non-alcoholic beer. I'm going to stop drinking alcohol. Is it, or is it just, listen, I don't like alcohol. I want to make a non-alcoholic because I love beer. Originally, it was um, so Bill Schufelt's idea. He's my partner, co-founder. And he kind of dreamed this up as he was just changing his life. He was in a crazy hedge fund world. Life was nuts. But he was simultaneously trying to become more healthy and mindful and active. And like the two juxtaposing lifestyles were not really congruent. And so he was like, you know, I still love beer. I want a good beer. How do I make this happen? And so he did some research for a couple of years uh, before he finally quit his job. That's kind of where it started. So he dreamed up this whole thing where we'd start our own process and build a non-alcoholic craft beer from the ground up. At the time, you know, I was a relatively new dad, been brewing for a long time, grew up in food and beverage which, you know, as you know, is not always the healthiest environment. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> just being in that my entire life, I was like, this makes really great sense. And I would love to like adopt that change and help grow that change. How many years now have you guys been in business making beers at Athletic? Uh, selling commercially about two and a half, working together about three and a half almost. And Bill's probably got the better part of six years into this. Wow. including the planning. So I guess the response from people has been pretty amazing. Unbeknownst to me, but Bill apparently knew there was this entire culture that existed that just needed to be opened up and yeah. a huge population of people searching for a healthier, more mindful beverage to have when you get home or for those who don't drink. Who is the typical athletic drinker? Are they, we talking millennials? Are we talking people who are more uh, my age, which is way younger than millennials, by the way, way younger. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so we're a close 50-50 split, you know, as far as like genders go. And then the age range really, we're, we're really all over the map. But, you know, I'd say in the, the 30 to 40s, yeah. kind of young parents are pretty typical, but it really extends all over the map. You know, my father, for instance, he doesn't really drink alcoholic beer anymore because he has this as an option. Yeah, sure. There are a lot of people who have just changed to our liquid because it tastes good and it's better for them. So, you know, we have our, our general large population right there in the middle, but we kind of span the ages. I mean, I think that's incredible, man. I love to see just how many different types of people are drinking stuff like this. It's more of a life change thing, I guess, because 
it feels more and more now like people are going healthier, people are being more aware of what they're putting in their body. And I think that's a that's a great thing. It's it's I think you see more often now people are asking, hey, where does this come from? What's inside this? Where is it grown? Do you guys find that a lot with athletic? Yeah, I mean people are definitely being more mindful about like what they're having and why they're having it and just the the time that they have in their day. They're like I feel like everybody's valuing their minutes a little bit more when you go home. It's like if you have an alcoholic beer when I get home, I'm a little less with my children than if I have a non-alcoholic beer. And I like that. So I'd like to spend more time with them, if you will. How old are your kids? Uh, we've got four and eight. Oh, yeah, wait till they get teenagers and you'll change your mind. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, John. I'm kidding. <laughs> it, it all sounds amazing. Like I, I hear great stories like you and it, it gets me to get fired up and say, hey, you know what? Maybe I should uh, get in town and try, try to get in, get involved here and go get some of these beers. This stuff is available in, in retail locations now? Yeah. So yeah, we're in probably 25 states now. Um, wow. And we're, you know, all around Connecticut. We sell at a couple of farmers markets here and there. We also sell on our website because we do e-commerce as it's alcohol free. We can, we can ship. Now you're like a traditional, well, you were like a regular beer brewer, right? Was it any different to go from that to being an alcohol free brewer? Did that change like your whole process, your whole thinking? Uh, it did. We kind of had to learn and unlearn a whole bunch of things, especially, you know, in, in the development of these recipes, we were also targeting kind of like low calorie counts and yeah. keeping things healthy. So sometimes the unlearning part is harder than the learning part. Absolutely. And then also when it came down to it, we're because we're non-alcoholic and there's no ethanol, food safety becomes huge. Oh, yeah. Especially when you're looking at a, at a shelf stable product. There's a huge learning curve as far as, you know, making sure that our beer stands the test of time and supports all of our consumers and any sensitive populations that we serve. Talk about some of the ingredients that you guys use when it comes to this, because they're still traditional ingredients. It's still hops and things like that, right? Yeah, 100%. It's just, you know, a lot of hops from the Pacific Northwest, from Europe, Connecticut, New York State. We've got malts from all over the world. Every fall we do a fun harvest ale that called hometown harvest. And we brew that with like Connecticut grown oh, malt cool. and uh, Connecticut grown hops. And the malt's coming from, uh, from thrall family farms. It's like one of the oldest tobacco farms in Connecticut. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. I love the local aspect of it, how you're kind of supporting the local people too. And you know, do, do you put their name on the, on the bottle or you, do you promote the fact that you're using that? Yeah. Yeah. we got them on the ingredient panel. That's awesome. So pretty cool. That's, that's very, very cool. Talking about these ingredients that kind of go into these beers, you hear so much about uh, how important things like simple things like the water is to the actual product itself. Yeah, so I, I agree 100% that water is super critical. And uh, we have a brewery on both coasts now. So we have a brewery in, Cal in California as well. So, oh, wow. You know, our core beers were built with water that we sourced from Connecticut. Connecticut brewing water was actually great. And so trying to match the two coasts was you know definitely challenging from a from a chemistry perspective but also a, you know a fun challenge so water is critical you said that connecticut water is good for brewing what makes it good for brewing uh the ph and the alkalinity and the calcium content so it, it just provides a great base for a wide range of beers and you don't have to doctor or do too much like water treatment to make it really kind of perfect what is the most popular do you guys have like a staple we make, you know, this is, uh, this is one of the main beers that we brew all the time. It's always around that people can get. Yeah. So our, our flagships, we've got Run Wild IPA, 
Uh, we have our upside down golden ale. It's our kind of lighter, crisper, lower calorie and gluten reduced product. And then we just added a third full-time flagship called Free Wave. And that's kind of our, our hazy IPA. Nice. Hey, so you talk about the golden ale being a lower calorie. Just just curious for me because I'm always trying to find a lower calorie beer to drink because problem is I, I, you, you would look at me and not know it, John, but I love beer a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, calories or something like that, what would it be? Uh, so the golden's 50 calories. Wow, the, that's uh, it. Yeah, the run wild is 70. Yeah, definitely you know healthy and you can crush as many as you want. When it comes to brewing beer, it's amazing. I've tried to homebrew several times and I failed miserably. <laughs> Uh, it, it, it didn't really work out very well. <laughs> Did really? <laughs> oh, yes. Um, one of the things I think that you guys do that is so cool is all the philanthropic work that you do, all of the good stuff you guys do out there. Because your beer, I mean, you guys, you try to promote that healthy, active lifestyle, biking, hiking, that sort of stuff. You know, talk about that two for uh, trails program you have. Yeah, two for the trails was set at the at the beginning of the business. And it's a program in which 2% of all sales go to trail and park cleanups. Those initiatives range from, you know, your local uh, land trust, which will donate money to and uh, go out there as a team and like help either rebuild a rope fence or clean up or chainsaw, build bridges or, you know, stuff like that. All the way up to working with kind of national agencies like Appalachian Trail and, you know, National Hiking Society. Yeah, we're making a huge dent in that and doing about 4% of what the government does on an annual basis wow. this year, donating to trail and park cleanups. And so it's great for, you know, the environment that we live in, that we embrace, and also great for our team to get out there collectively in a non-COVID environment, of course, get out there and get dirty. That's amazing to hear. And, and you know, also, too, just as a chef, thank you. You guys made a big donation to restaurant relief fund which was an amazing thing to see you know just a lot of chefs out there are really struggling and restaurant owners are really struggling right now so you know for you guys to do that that's pretty amazing you, i think you donated what a hundred thousand dollars to that yeah yeah and we're we're looking at a program to kind of keep that to be a, a continuous process so we're excited about what's coming up with that and yeah it meant a lot especially to me growing up in restaurants um totally so yeah it was really psyched to be a part of that are you guys kind of the pioneers here in connecticut of the non-alcoholic beers kind of trend going on or are there other people that you know that are doing it like because i know the beer the beer community here in connecticut's very very strong everybody's tight it's one big brotherhood are there other people doing similar to what you guys are doing no so it's very exciting it's not just in connecticut that i think we pioneered this i think it's nationally that we kind of attacked it when we started there was one other brewery that was trying to do it and we were the only ones that had a brewery dedicated to non non-alcoholic beer uh so definitely kind of helping start the trend and pioneering the movement towards uh, permissioning and destigmatizing a frowned upon beverage. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's frowned upon. What do you mean? You mean frowned by just because of the fact that it's an alcoholic beer or frowned upon because it's a non-alcoholic beer? Uh, no, like non-alcoholic beer for decades in this country specifically was just considered like the penalty box beer. Um, you yeah. know, O'Doul's. Yeah. I think yeah. Of. If you had that out at a bar with all your friends one night because you didn't feel like drinking, you know, you'd be right. the butt of many a joke. Yeah. So like trying to like get past that and break that cultural barrier was definitely a beast, but it's happening and it's a tsunami effect now and it's kind of taking over itself, which is awesome. Before we go, is there anything that, you know, you think like a message you want to get out there about non-alcoholic beer or, you know, your mission when as it comes down to the product you're making? Yeah, no, I, I think at the end of the day, we're just 
beer lovers at heart and making a really delicious beer for everybody that can be enjoyed like at any time during the day, any day of the week. And, you know, our, our tagline is like brew without compromise, but we, we don't compromise on the flavor. So you're still just enjoying that great beer. It just doesn't have alcohol in it. John, we appreciate you taking some time to join us here on Seasoned and talk the uh, good word of Athletic Brew. And again, thank you for all the, the work that you do out there, you know, supporting the restaurant industry and other things as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. That was John Walker, co-founder and head brewer at Athletic Brewing Company in Stratford, Connecticut. Athletic Brewing Company's beers are available online or through curbside pickup, and you'll find them at beer and wine shops all across the state. They're even in my grocery store. If beer's not your thing and you're interested in ready-to-drink, alcohol-free cocktails that really look, feel, and taste nuanced and celebratory, we offer up these options. Seedlip is the most ubiquitous distilled non-alcoholic spirit out there. It was created in England where dry January is huge. And many say the whole concept was originated there as well. Proto is another line of non-alcoholic botanical drinks. It was created by mixologist John DeBerry, who joined our show last summer. He really knows his stuff. And from the Hudson Valley, Curious Elixirs makes another fun booze-free option that looks pretty in a glass. We love their tagline, shaken, not slurred. (laughs) You'll find all of these drinks online. Cheers to all of you thinking about healthier ways to eat and drink this year. Whatever your 2021 goals might be, we are rooting for you. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Seasoned is produced by Robin Doyen-Aiken and Katie Talarski. Thanks for listening. 